pale horse. The man who sat on him was dead. And hell followed with him. You're killing me, man. Hello and welcome to Declarations of War. I am your host, Alexei Card, joined by my fellow Noir brethren, Levitain. Good day, good day, good day. The doctor is in the house, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> good to be back again. Uh, just a quick little duo show. Uh, Noir is continuing to prep for the Alliance Tournament. The matches are coming up very soon. We're very excited, and that's kind of where our focus is. But we do have a couple key stories to bring to you today. First, though... We asked our audience, do they like Hauling and Eve? Last episode, we had uh, like the head honcho of one of the biggest shipping conglomerates in the game, PushX. And we really got into the hauling side of Eve. And 50% of our audience, a little bit over 50% of our audience, actually enjoys hauling. And the rest are PushX customers. Uh, a very divided poll, and I totally get it. I, I really don't like doing my own hauling. Leave, how about you? I, there's, sometimes it's nice when you know when you know you can look after your own stuff. There is that kind of you know, security. Uh, whereas if like if your hauler gets ganked and you like and you was down to you, you know you think ah, just me. Whereas if you know someone else loses it for you, but I mean, could I do it full time in Eve? Nah, it's it's it would be too much for me. Uh, guys like Sias Terrace are a special breed. They are speaking of uh, speaking of carrying weight, <laughs> we have um, an illicit update coming to Eve. Uh, this is a leak of some of the upcoming new ship changes in absentia of an actual dev blog about them. I should just point out these ships, the stats are actually visible on the Singularity server. So, I mean, they are they're in the game. You can't buy them on CC, but they're there. You can see them and simulate them. Oh, excuse me. So they're, they are viewable, but not actually flyable. Yep. Okay. Still doing a lot of work. Uh, CCP has basically put out, what is it, three dev blogs, all restating the same thing over and over again. Same thing that they put out at FanFest. We haven't actually gotten really new information about what's happening other than that November as the phase one of the new patch and that it's going to be a phased rollout, which in and of itself is a little discouraging. Uh, but what do we think of these new ships, Leif? So just to break it down in case, you've, in case you've not seen them, eight new ships at least are on the way, and these are all Navy ships. The first one is the class is all the Exploration T1 frigates are getting Navy variants, so the Navy Heron, the Navy Probe, um, and the Amara and Glente versions as well. Um, and these ships, they, they lose the salvaging bonus, but they get a bit of a DPS increase. The idea these are now combat probers, so they get a they get a massively reduced CPU draw to expanded probe launchers. This this um, fleet the ship can actually mount expanded probe launchers, and it not compromise the fit. They have the same 
uh, virus kind of relic and, and, and hacking module changes. So these things are good for um, hacking into exploration sites or if you want to hack into a structure to determine its vulnerability. But they got a bit of weapons damage as well. So, for example, like I said, the probe with light missiles can still kick out well over 100 DPS with light missiles and will kick out something in the short, will kick out probably a lot more in the short range. So this clearly is there to try and, if you like, take the bit of the market away from the Astera, which has had a bit of a monopoly in terms of the frigate class exploration ship on this. Um, are these as good as the Astero in a straight-up thing? Because the Astero has a tank, bonus and drones? Possibly not. But this does give a nice couple of other options out there, you know, to both to fleets, because these things can combat, can both combat probe and also be a little bit active by themselves, but also just for kind of entry-level um, uh, kind of hacking relic sites and actually able to fight off um, minor threats by themselves. Yeah, and that's most of the player feedback I've seen has been people praising that there's going to be an alternative to the Astero, something to threaten the Astero, I guess has been an apex predator in the frigate exploration side of the game for, I guess since it really came out, there's no compelling alternative to that unless you go upgrade to, say, a Tech 3 destroyer. Yeah, I mean, these things don't get the cloak, but then, you know, the Navy frigates by themselves are usually very fast and nimble, and they're able to get kind of away from most things. So while they can't cloak, they're often, they can often kind of just kite away and, and run away from things very quickly as well. The yeah. second... The second set of ships are the Navy battlecruisers. So most people will know that we have if the battlecruisers kind of came out in two tranches. The first there was the first generation and the second generation. And we've had the Hurricane, we've had the and we've got the Hurricanes um, fleet issue, Brudix fleet issue, um, Harbinger and Drake. But now we're getting the Ferrex, we're getting the Cyclone, we're getting the Myrmidon, and we're also getting the Prophecy as Navy variants. Um, and these bring a couple of bonuses that maybe not have seen before. I, I think we'll start with the Myrmidon, since this is the one that's probably polarized um, the community the most, I think, to start off with. I don't know if polarized is the right word. I would say cautious optimism, perhaps. Or, or cautious skepticism, depending on what side of the ball you fall under. But <laughs> in general, I think people like it. The big draw for the new Myrmidon Navy issue is that it's going to get a bonus to stasis webification drones, which is a fascinating bonus. We haven't really seen that outside of um, Mimitar carriers. So this will be a, a, an interesting potential role for it in, in terms of fleet fights especially in terms of soloing and small gang nah, it's hard to say it's nice having those long-range webs there is concern that the drones will be shot down immediately because they'll be quite thin hit point wise and i think there's some general concern over the utility of web drones as a thing because of how they stack on each other but it's something interesting and if your fleet either can't afford a Loki, or maybe there's some other reason why you wouldn't want to bring a Loki to the party. The Smyrmidon could be a good long-range webification option. You're right. You've, you've pointed out a couple of things there. I mean, the, the Nidogger gets a range bonus to its fighters, which you know can only use webs for, for a short amount of time before they go into cooldown, whereas the Berserker SW900s, um, they can just go out there and web, and they can move 
okay fast, maybe up to 2k a second. Um, but you've also hit on one of the biggest weaknesses there is the hit points of these things. These things are really easy to defang and shoot down. Like a scepter shouldn't have too much problem. A combat scepter shouldn't have much of an issue of deleting these by itself. And you, I, I guess, I guess I'd like to have seen maybe either a hit point boost to these or maybe just kind of give the Myrmidon a bit more of a utility role and give it bonuses to more than just stasis web drones, like give it like the newt drones or the or the track weapon disrupting drones. These drones don't really see use outside of well, anywhere right now, and it would be nice to kind of bring them in. Yeah, I mean, this might kind of go without saying, but I still feel like some people will need to hear it. The whole point of the web drone is webbing something down. It's not going to do that if it can't actually catch the thing. So your web drones have some limited viability there because you can send them out, but they're not going to do anything if they don't catch the target. And the whole reason why you're probably webbing it is because it's going faster than you. Yeah. So, you know, your heavy web drones without significant bonuses to velocity and, you know, dedicating your mid slots to it, probably not going to catch, say, a micro-warp driving vagabond. That could be a real problem. Yeah, I mean, as you're right. In, in terms of the price of the Navy Battlecruisers, if we go on what the current ones are, you know, you're talking two, 300 mil, it's not that more and more expensive to get a Loki. And then you've got a ship that can instantly apply its webs to a target if it's in range, whereas this one has to wait for its drones to slow over there. I mean, once it once it has you and it, and it gets on top of you, it can drop over 500 DPS of blasters on you and it can pull its web drones in once it has its own web on and pull out a set of ogres on you. So there's that kind of side of things. But I, 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 wouldn't, I wonder that there's not the niche examples enough that would make those drones necessarily better than, as you say, like, you know, a, a Loki or if one of your fleet mates brings a hyena and just completely eliminates the need for this um, that bonus in the first place. It'll be better than any single web, right? Because the uh, the bonus that it gets, assuming you have all your skills to five, it's a 50% bonus to the factor of velocity decrease. So An SW900 is, is 20 base, so it increases each drone to a 30% web. So that's each drone. The, the Yamun can do four of them subject to stacking penalties. So I think it works at about 60, I think probably about 65, 70% with all four of them on. Which is... Pretty good. Um, I think the, the downside, now they, they sort of thought about one of the drawbacks because it does have a roll bonus to drone speed, but it's kind of a small bonus, 12.5%. It needs to be bigger for it to really have that competitive impact. I mean, maybe players will find an interesting use for it. I just think it's a great concept for a ship. I don't know if it really makes itself stand out compared to some of its alternatives, but I think the one drawback or the one advantage it will have over, say, the Loki is it's going to be a lot cheaper. Moving on then to the Cyclone fleet issue. So this one's an interesting one because it gets a 9% rate of fire bonus as opposed to the base Cyclones. I think it's 5 or 7.5%. So this thing can spit out missiles at an ungodly rate. I mean, we did the numbers. You can, with a ham fit, you can be drop. You can overheat to under two seconds rate of fire per, vo- per volley. Ha- heavy missiles you can get under four seconds quite easily. It seems to be a, a bit of a kind of 
in the, in the same ballpark as the Drake Navy issue. I mean, it has a similar kind of range to it. Um, it's not damage locked. It can easily spit fire into DPS uh, faction. Might not necessarily have as thick a tank as the Drake Navy issue, though. Well, it also apparently has quite a high base speed, which is interesting. I think the, the most bizarre thing about this is why 9%? Why not 10? Like, <laughs> it's the only odd number bonus, I think, in the entire game. Just go whole hog, man. Yeah, I know, right? I mean, it has six heavies. It has um, six missile slots as opposed to the DNI 7. So the DNI does have a bit, does a bit more damage than that, but with obviously with the two utility highs, you can get a quite easily a double links fit, which is quite good for the solo side of things because you can kind of you can double up on skirmish or bring a skirmish and a shield and be and bring quite a lot of utility to any gang that that employs this. Now Stitch Kalen raised an interesting concept for this cyclone fleet issue as opposed to the regular cyclone fleet issue, which has a tank bonus. So you can go in there and brawl a bit. Cyclone Fleet issue with the speed, with the insanely high damage bonus and the application bonus, the concept might be kind of dive in, kill something quickly, then try to burn out, which I think for a battle cruiser is a very bold battle plan. But, you know, again, these are interesting concept ships. Mm. Then we've got the Prophecy Navy issue, which... Um ensues the kind of resistance bonuses for a HP bonus. So it gets the same bonus as the Agara Navy issue um, and the Damnation. So this thing ha- can pack a lot of hit points very quickly. And it has a bit of a hybrid bonus, but not for hybrid weapons, but it has both laser um, damage and it also gets a slight drone bonus. But again, 5% as opposed to the typical 10% that you often see on drone ships. I think this is a fantastic, of, of all of them, I think this is one that jumps out most immediately as really, really cool and very interesting to go fly. It gets the microwave velocity bonus of the Merm Navy. It gets a bonus to optimal range and fall off for its role, and then an additional 50% to the medium energy turrets. So it's going to strike out very far. It's going to have drones for up close and personal stuff. It's going to have a very thick tank. I think depending on where this thing falls down price-wise and SIG radius and speed-wise, once they're done tweaking it, this could be a very, very interesting ship. I feel like it does everything the AUG Navy does, but a little bit better. If it can SIG tank almost as well, I think you have a very clear front-runner for a cheap, hard-hitting, like, small-to-medium fleet-fighting ship. Yeah, I mean, this is... I did some numbers on this, and indeed on and singular to show it you can stick pulses on it you can stick a plate on it and with scorch you can hit out to nearly 50 kilometers with about 500 plus of, of uh you've got about 500 dps here um 200 and of dps of the of the lasers and then your hammerheads um add another you know 200 dps but that's not that insignificant considering you had hammerheads they get a speed they get a speed bonus on the hull so they can do nearly 3k a second. So it strikes me this thing is going to be really good at just wiping support and doesn't necessarily need to be straight on top of the target in order to do so. And it's got 123k effective hit points on this particular fit. Without very without very much bling and very much trying, this thing's HP will scale very quickly with links and even a little bit of bling or implant. Yeah, it's, it's going to be... 
bargain basement cheap, you're going to get a lot of value out of it. I mean, I guess it'll come down to what the hull costs, but it's anything like the other Navy battle cruisers somewhere in the 150 to 200 million S range. It's really good. <laughs> uh, if Tech Two prices stay low, I think it'll have uh, I think we'll have a lot of competition from hacks, but it's still quite good. The final ship is the Ferex Navy. So instead of the Ferex being the range sniping platform that it pretty much is, it swaps that bonus for a tracking. So it, it looks on paper much more like a Brudix Navy issue. So it gets damage, it gets tracking. You have the roll bonus of optimal range and fall off, uh, which is the same as uh, all the other battlecruisers. And it gets a reduction in cap use to the shield booster. So this kind of favors... Um, actual shield boosters rather than ancillary boosters so they, whether they seem to have this as a as a ship that is designed to kind of have a, have a perhaps a lower um peak tank like you get really high kind of burst kind of reps from an ancillary then you get the long um cooldown from the reload this thing's generally designed to be more of a you know, kind of like take the damage over time and just chew through things i mean it will it will absolutely chew through things the tracking bonus is not insignificant i mean even with um null you've got 89 tracking which is going to track frigates very easily unless they're riding close of you with no with nothing to apply onto them um, I'm not quite sure about the bonus, though. It just doesn't seem to quite. It doesn't seem to quite fit in unless you kind of single or double cap inject. Alec, what do you think of this? I think it gives Caldari the thing that Caldari pilots have always wanted, which is a solar blast, solo blaster boat option, which is really what it ultimately comes down to. This is like a shield tanked Brutix. Yeah, in fact, I, I think I, that's literally what it is. <laughs> I think so. I, it is. It is literally the, the shield. The shield BNI. Which okay. I mean, yeah. People have been trying to blaster Ferox or blaster Moa for ages now, so now they can go do that. Yeah, I mean, the fit that I'm looking at has a has an acre full of CPU, so I wonder if they've designed this to kind of go towards some of the bigger kind of maybe like the extra large boosters. But again, it would destabilize the tank otherwise. But I'll be interested to see how this this is. And again, it all depends on the pricing. It does lose the the HP, so the the resistance bonuses that the Ferex and the Drake get. So it is not going to be as as kind of like as high on the resistances. But of course, it gets Navy Battlecruiser base effective hit points and shields so it's rocking at nearly 10k shield just to start off with yeah and, and critically it is only the activation cost not the shield amount so i think with the cpu it seems like it's probably gonna be a, a shield booster plus one of the shield boost amplifiers seems like a good pairing there i don't know where it's gonna get the cap from putting a cap booster on it is gonna be very cramped i think but It'll be interesting for sure. I just think it fills a niche that people have been trying to create from Kaldari ships for a long time, and now they've actually got something dedicated to the purpose. It might not be the best possible version of it, but it's pretty good. And there was rumors that we might get destroyers. I mean, certainly some of the narrative arcs have kind of talked about kind of going into uh, destroyer facilities. So I think the rumor was about Navy destroyers. We may still see them, you know, still holding out hope of the core Navy issue. Um, but so far, these are the eight that have currently made it, made their way onto CC. Very interesting stuff. I will definitely be EFTing slash piping the heck out of the Prof Navy. 
and well, I'm sure we'll see some of the other ships coming up on your uh, your small gang warfare YouTube. <laughs> some interesting news on the Nullsec Warfront. This is a truly bizarre story. Uh, we'll put a link to it in the show notes so you can read the whole thing for yourself. But uh, essentially, Norhouse, I hope I pronouncing the name right, he's the, uh, the Alliance Executive for Fraternity. He's been banned several times, allegedly permanently, for RMT, except he's still running his alliance. That's kind of makes CCP look a bit dumb, but no one seems to be in an area hurry to do anything about it. So the players will take matters into their own hands, specifically taking away some of his ill-gotten gains from all of his botting empire by scamming the shit out of him. Now, the background for this is, as we've been covering on the show for a while now, Fraternity has been stalled in their war against Brave. They thought they would just expand their rental empire into pure blind, no problem, that Brave and the Greater Trash Coalition would just fall over. That did not happen. Brave has held strong. No systems of consequence have changed hands. Very few battles of consequence have even gone fraternity's way. I think they've killed a Fortizar at this point, and everything else is held firm. Meanwhile, they have lost a lot, and I mean a lot of money and a lot of prestige on the rocks and shoals of Pure Blind. Now they're getting a bit desperate, it seems. Uh. <laughs> it's one of those stories, isn't it? I can't. It's, it's so funny. It's the story that that draws that years ago, yesteryear, you'd hear it would draw people into. If you think, "My God, how how did they get away? How did that happen?" I, I got to go and play this game. Um, it's one of those old classics, you know, and it involves a bit of a bravado and a bit of Photoshop. Yeah, so this guy created a character that looked like a character in Brave's Holding Corp, and through some Fiverr Photoshop, managed to create enough proof to convince Naraus that he had access to the wallet. Uh, this, this was the actual guy in the actual corp, access to the wallet, that he would steal all the money out of Brave's Sob wallet so all their Sob would reset. If only Naraus gave him 200 billion isk. It's not even that. The guy, he actually says that he actually got someone to, to do the Photoshopping for him. Um, which is which is utterly bizarre. Yeah, uh, it gives a lot of credit to that guy. Apparently, it would have been possible. I mean, he photoshopped the character. He photoshopped the alliance wallet. Uh, apparently, convincing enough to fool Kriba, allegedly. Uh, so the guy's name was Charmin from Bangladesh. Legend. <laughs> Regardless of how it's happened, and always in these stories, you have to kind of wonder what hasn't been said because often you know there's more detail in it. Um, depriving this, depriving fraternity, and indeed this individual of some ill of some, it's like that. It's always going to be one. It's going to be one that makes us very happy, though. Always the kind of thing you think. I wish they got more. Yeah. So here's the exact message that hooked Norales in uh, from Etrin Delacourt on Discord. I have a character that is part of Brave Holding and charged with infrastructure upkeep. I only have direct control over a few mid- to low-tier structures, 
However, I keep a master list of iHubs and their respective soft payment due dates. I do not control the master wallet for the corporation. However, I can deplete the corp master wallet on other expenditures prior to the state so that the iHub soft payments fail and a number of critical iHubs drop. This action will come at great cost to me, and I expect compensation in addition to asylum slash safe haven for my alts into fraternity. This will save fraternity a credible amount of blood and treasure, and I expect any payment to be a reflection of such. Let me know if you're interested, and if not, forget this conversation ever happened. To which the Rouse replies, Oh, God! <laughs> uh, he, of course, questions his motives, and he just says, Oh, I'm strictly isk and disagreement with some leadership decisions over the last six months. And Naraus is like, yeah, that seems understandable. And the scam begins. Uh, so he got the upfront payment, obviously couldn't do what he was saying to do, so he didn't get the second half of the 200. But he got that 100 and donated it all to Brotherhood of Spacers, which has been the Thorn and Fraternity side for years now. What a, what a guy. Absolute legend. So that's the status of the war at the moment. Fraternity is willing to pay nearly any price, it seems, and uh, see saviors where there aren't any, just to avoid having to fight brave over their systems. Because every time they try, they've been getting the shit kicked out of them. The horrible thing is that 100 bill probably isn't going to be that much of a big deal. They could do this again. And in one respect, you could say, go out there, people, see what else you can do with these guys, see how much you can get. But it also is kind of depressing, isn't it, that years ago, 100 bill would have been, good lord, it would have it would have flattened some alliances, and now this is just everywhere. And I'm sure Fraternity has a much, much bigger war chest than that. They can get, I mean, especially with their botting, they can get that money back in absolutely no time. But it's still significant, and I think it sets the, an interesting price, so you know what they're willing to pay minimum if you were planning to sell out Brave, so I expect whoever actually does sell them out in the future, you're asking for at least that much. You could probably get a lot more, I would imagine. I remember looking at the Reddit threat, and apparently um, it, the, the matter was confusing Kripper so much he was asking questions about how does the sub work? <laughs> and uh, check out some of the photoshops as well. They're, they're quite good. Quite good, as a matter of fact. Well, speaking of actual deals that are kept, contract update, we've had one. It's been a while. Uh, Noir has been focusing on the Alliance tournament, but we got a, a bit of outreach from someone that we'd worked before, worked with before in the past, and the price was right. So we're like, oh, okay, I'll take a pause from our uh, take a pause from our Alliance tournamenting and let's go back on contract. So we went all the way back to Great Wildlands, which for longtime listeners of the show, you'll know we used to be living there for about two years while I was away from Noir. Noir was sticking with Mercenary Coalition up in Tribute, and I struck out and tried to do my own thing with the Capitalist Army. We put down a trade hub in N-6, which is now owned by Night Jester, who was my partner at the time. And since then, he's gone on to expand, putting out a trade hub in 504, which is a free port system that we took advantage of for this contract. Uh, and yeah, his, his Corpse and Valkyrie Alliance now, which are doing pretty well down in the south. I don't, I think because they have Sob now, they don't like live, live in Great Wildlands anymore, um, which 
you know, works out for the locals. Ebola is the perennial resident there, and True Rains, also a big power there. And also, apparently, Intrepid Crossing, which I kind of lost track of after they lost their SAV some years ago. They have a presence down there, along with our contract targets, Nerds of a Feather. So a whole new ecosystem down there, some old names, some new names, and we ran into a bunch of them while we were down there. Uh, the contract was to clear out a series of structures in sort of southeastern Great Wildlands. A pair of Rytars and then a series of Athenors on what our client considered key moons, or at least moons that he didn't want to have those Athenors on, I suppose. So we, you know, just timed it for a weekday hit because our weekends are very Alliance tournament-focused. We did our thing. Actually, you know, excuse me, the, the first one was a weekend hit, and then it came out weekday, and that turned out to be a pretty bad idea because we didn't really have tons of numbers. So we reinforced everything in one op, and then we were only actually able to kill one of them, I believe, that came out. Intrepid Crossing brought their caps out to try to defend one of them, and the other one, no, excuse me, we killed two. There was one in European time zone. That was defended by some of the locals in a Caracal fleet, which I understand was a great fun fight. And then after that, later that night, we did the uh, we did the U.S. Times and fleet to kill some of the rest. We were only able to get one of them, and Intrepid Crossing dropped caps on us, which kind of ruined the party. So props to them for bringing it out. It's not often you'll see cap ships in Great Wildlands. And we tr we had like an opportunity briefly to turn around and fight it, but we couldn't actually bring it together in time. So unfortunately, did not get that one to happen. Uh, Mining Reloaded, excuse me, the locals that fought us. Uh, some of the Athenors were held by them. Some of them were nerds of a feather. I think one of them was either IRC or they just used them. And so that was what their involvement was. It was a pretty cool fight. Um... Small number of Typhoons with a Lashak and Command Ship support fighting Caracal Fleet. Kind of surprised we didn't take at least some losses there, and if we had, it would have been very efficient for the attackers, but we managed to hold strong and beat them. I was so surprised about that, I had to ask why, what happened. Apparently, the Mining Reloaded Corp undocked and flew the Caracals straight into the Torpedo Typhoons. No attempt to kite or stay out of tackle range. And that's all she wrote. That and, seems that seems like a an interesting strategy. Yeah, and they were micro warp drive long point caracals. I, I can only assume some kind of inexperience, or maybe they just didn't realize where they were going and changed direction too late. I'm not sure, but they got smashed. It wasn't a ton of caracals, so it wasn't a big amount of money. But yeah, still. I think uh, with, the with the structure taken out, I think they lost just over 150 mil. mil excuse me. Uh, so props to them for undocking and at least going for it. Again, I think if they had maybe chosen targets differently or managed their range better, they might have been able to get a pretty decent fight. If they had killed one of the typhoons, they would have broke even. If they had managed to kill, say, um, Zero's Shack or... Maybe some of the Tech 2 stuff we had in the field. That, I mean, that would have done really good. They would have come out way ahead. So props to them for at least fighting. 
Unfortunately, we didn't get another look at that cap fleet, so we didn't have the opportunity to fight it again. They dropped it, saved one structure, and then completely ignored us as we killed another one. Because we were a bit skeptical of our ability to keep doing that in U.S. time zone, we waited a little bit, reinforced them the following week on a weekday, such that they would come out Saturday night, and then we killed the rest. In the meantime, between us doing the initial hit and then waiting to do the follow-up, they unanchored several of them. Uh, some of those we stole, either the core, the structure, or both. But they did manage to get a few of the structures out, and then we popped the rest. All in all, pretty interesting contract. It's one of the more dynamic structure bash contracts we've had. Um, I think the one in Solitude that we had relatively recently is going to be very tough to beat in general. But this was still pretty cool. And props to Mining Reloaded, props to Intrepid Crossing for coming out and fighting. And, uh, yeah, it was kind of great to be back in Great Wildlands. And we'll see. I think checking a contract in general was a little hard during the tournament. I don't know what your thoughts on that are, Leigh, but just felt like people... It, it's strange, because like on the weekends we have our tournament time. Midweek we don't really have anything. But that tournament time on the weekends is very intense. Yeah, I mean, we'd be looking at two, three hours worth of practice, um, and the tournaments are really good, but I, I, it does come out as a, as a bandwidth cost, because particularly for some of us who kind of use those, uh, who have significant others, and kind of only get a certain number of days on a week to go and play. So if I if my weekend evenings are taken up with the tournament, I can't really spread myself to anywhere else and i wonder if a lot of people have for maybe not the same reasons but have a similar problem yeah but luckily tournament's coming up pretty soon so one way or the other we'll be back in the work game very soon and that's kind of it that's the main stories i wanted to tell you about i was just super thrilled like my host highlight is absolutely getting to undock my dread and use it for something I used a lot of my Alliance tournament winnings from last year to buy tons of capitals that are just like sitting around collecting dust. I bought them because they were like fire sale, really, really, really cheap. And then Siege Green happened, and I was like, ooh, cool, I actually get to do some something with this. But it still wasn't actually able to pull it out, but I felt like Great Wildlands was the right opportunity for it. So I got to try um, was it Rev and a Phoenix, anti-cap. No, the rev, the rev might have been hot. I forget. But yeah, it was it was brilliant. Tons of fun. Uh, still a small ship, small gang guy, but it was nice to scratch the itch of using the capitals for something, especially putting that much money into them. Yeah, I think my, my highlight was just seeing uh, the number of uh, bots destroyed at the Wacker bots. Now, this is the GM week one. I could not go this year and I was gutted because it fell on a kind of a work day with family in the way why they had to do it during working hours was completely beyond me they left it until the evening when they got there um, many titans died a fraternity supercarrier died so again nice to see them getting punted um, and it just looks like everyone got some nice shiny kill models. yeah and always interesting to track which alliances those things come from not too many surprises this year and finally, we'll give a shout-out to our Golden Elite members, Bodie Wilson, Fade Atreides, Kestrel Swainson, Krav, Mark Havoc, Ting Tengu, and Tweak. 
Thank you for your continued support. It is invaluable. I mean, there is a value attached to it, but it's higher than the dollar value <laughs> that you're donating. Um, and finally, I want to give Akbad and Rob some love. They have put together incredibly smooth Alliance tournament practices, um, especially when we've come up against some teams that just haven't been as organized or as consistent. Anytime that they're hosting the practice, it's always good to go. They've got the bookmarks, they've got the ships, you know, they're, they're talking to the other teams. It's really a miracle to see it all come together like that. And just as a CEO and Eve in general, like to hop on and have everything done and everything in motion, everything set up and you just get to hop on and be a player is a very rare, cool experience. So major props to you guys. Continuing on the AT theme, um, big shout out to CCP Zealus, who's running the AT side of things. Um, they recently released the format for the feeder tournament, which the network will be taking part in, um, which is a, a kind of like six groups of six kind of elimination with the winners going through to the AT and the runners up going into a last ditch redemption group, which the winner of that goes through to the AT and everyone else goes out. Um, so we're, we're in hard practice for these. And yeah, just uh, looking to, looking to really see what we can do there. We've had some interesting practices. Um, got a really good team today. Um, who's given us a lot to kind of work on, and we look to do the best we can. Yeah, I think the next show that we come to you with will be after the tournament matches. So that'll be interesting. I'm going to be on commentary for a lot of these. So looking forward to seeing all of you guys in Twitch chat. I'm excited. I, like Leif said, it's kind of a hard road, but we've been practicing really hard. I think those practices have gone really well, and especially after last year, I think this year we started winning in scrims much earlier than we did before. I would stack us up against the top teams, honestly. I think we can hang with the best of them at this point. That's fine and talk. Now we've got to do it. Yeah. All right, guys, that's it. Head to declarationsaward.com to participate in this show's poll and check out youtube.com slash C slash AlexiFK to leave comments on our show highlights. Noir recruitment will reopen when we get knocked out of the tournament or, you know, crush it and win the entire thing, whichever happens first. <laughs> if you want to come and hang out with us in the meantime, come chill in Cafe Noir Dot. That's where you'll find a link to our Discord. We can answer all of your questions. Come hang out with us. We are definitely interested in bringing in new people after the tournament is over, so come get to know us and be first among those brought in with the new wave of recruitment that we're doing. Looking forward to seeing you wherever you are and whoever you're rooting for in this upcoming tournament. Better be us, but whoever it is, it's fine. Uh, good hunting listeners, and we'll see you soon. Wish us luck.